Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. The book of Acts this morning, chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 6, 26. Can I hear 25? 25. Anybody 25? We will get to verse 18, Lord willing. But we'll stand and take verses 6 through 8, so please stand for the reading of God's Word. And if you're watching us online and you're in the lobby area, uh, please stand also if you're able to. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 6 to verse 8. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, To this promise, our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Please be seated. Ended that on a high note. Undistracted witnessing is the focus of this morning's sermon The positions and the achievements of Paul's audience neither impressed him or distracted him. There is before him the Roman procurator, the governor. There is uh, King Agrippa and his sister, Bernice. There are the military commanders and other high officials in the regional government there. And again, their achievements, their positions... uh, They did not impress Paul, nor did they distract him. He is out to convert souls. He is out to be used by God to save people from a judgment to come. Only their souls and their eternal state mattered. And uh, on this, he remained focused. And it comes out in in this chapter as we go through it. we'll, We'll see just that. And that's why one thing... I get out of this chapter is that his witnessing is undistracted. You know, if you're trying to preach to somebody who you think is important or high-level person, you're impressed by them, you're going to be nervous, you really want to get them saved, that's a distraction. Just preach the word, give the witness. In this chapter, in verse 5, he will tell them, I lived a Pharisee. He says, I know that side of the road. In verse 13, he says, I saw the light. In verse 14, I heard the voice. In verse 19, I was not disobedient. And then verse 22, I stand to this day witnessing. More lessons for us, more encouragements, more strength. And if you consider yourself a weak Christian, just remember you can always be stronger. It's in you, whether you believe it or not, because Christ is in you. And many churchgoers, I fear, are not too moved by these kinds of lessons from Scripture. They want to be made to feel good, or they want their emotions elevated. Uh, I I don't know. I I don't know what other men do, but I know I I would feel like I was trying to manipulate the audience if I was. And it's not hard to do. We could talk about the spikes driven into the hands of Christ. I could whip you up into that. That's not where the work is. And there's time for those things, of course, but not for manipulating audiences, but for speaking on things that just naturally move us emotionally. But it is more than an intellectual uh, advancement we want. We want whatever God gives. 
Whatever he says, here, put this in your pack. That is exactly what we want to do. Because Satan wants people alive long enough so he can use them, then kill them. That's what Satan is trying to do always, all through history. And we have an entire generation who is not bothered by being proven wrong. David the king said, I have been old and I have, I have been young and I have been old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor begging for bread. Well, I can now say I have been young and I have been old. And I have never seen such a dumb generation in my life. Now, it's not every single person, of course. But as a, on a whole, the global insanity, the internet is good. It has good things about it. But this is one of the bad ones. Brainwashing. Truth and reason has become something to hate in many circles. In all circles, it just, it's all over the place. Irrational responses to truth will damn a soul. That's what's going to happen to this group here. Agrippa's going to be very into this. But in the end, he's going to turn his nose up to it. In the end, it will profit him nothing. But remember, there are others here also listening to Paul give his witness. Now, as we look at this time we live in, you know, the COVID cover-up and the insanity that belonged to that. The healthcare professionals who often do just amazing things, but when it came to this, they tossed out the door all the proven policies and seemed to just go in this hysterical direction, which should frighten all of us to some degree. We live in a time where we have science-less scientists who are dictating policies that directly affect us. There is the pharmaceutical blight. That the pharmaceuticals, some of them have so much power that they are shaping how people approach how they live in a very negative way. And it is like a blight. It is this unseen uh, element that's spreading and doing its damage in spite of some of the good that is done also. And you have to pick out what's working and what is not. Then there is the transgender agenda. Gender agenda. These are the transvestite activists that uh, have no shame in having drag queen parties for children. Children small enough to still sit on their parents' lap. And the demonically energized parents that are blind enough to take their children to these kind of things so they can be groomed. Well, because these uh, these steeped in homosexuality. They can't have their own kids. They just steal yours. Raise them up to be like them. They are the brainwashed leftists of this country that hate this country and can't tell you why. Not, not with any degree of sense. There is... You say, well, why are you telling us these things? Because we have to witness among these people these events these satanically energized events. Paul had his share in his day. Christians have had them in every day. But these belong to us. We are, oh, let me finish down my list here. We have, uh, of course, anti-constitution courts. And there, with that goes out the justice. Satanic universities that are in, not only indoctrination centers, but checkpoints. We have unsportsman sports. Been watching recently how many fights are breaking out. Baseball is now putting hockey to shame. 
And it's why? Throwing balls, baseball at 100 miles an hour at someone's head, is that somehow supposed to be entertaining? It should be a felony when it's done as it's being done. An accident is one thing. We have corporations caving all over the place. We have churches caving all over the place to a perverted culture, to a twisted and sick culture, to a culture that flies a flag that says we hate Jesus. We know what he's about. And we're against what he's about. And if any of his people come up against us, we'll try to break them. We'll take them to court. We'll pick it. We'll do something to harm them. Then we have the triple standard of diversity, so-called diversity, where we need to get more left-handed people doing what right-handed people are doing. It is the world we live in. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Paul said to Timothy, but know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Catch this one. Traitors. They used to come to church, but they traded. And I don't say that as with hate, any hatred to them. Just, this is what we're facing. We want to win them back if we can. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If this does not bother you, you're not listening. In the midst of otherwise remarkable human achieve, achievements that we see, there remains this need for an undistracted witness of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you, you know, you are, are, have, been, have you seen the floods in China, in Beijing, unprecedented in history? And you know, uh, they're doing everything they can to cover it up, because that's how they do business. It is, it is sick. Their response is not about rescuing people as much as it's about covering it up. So you can't see the damage being done. Uh, these are the last of the last days for a number of reasons. So don't let these things distract you from doing your duty as a witness for Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're watching and, or present and you're not, you've not given your heart to Christ. Well, we'll get to you before it's over if you stay. But this is the, this is the life that we live, what are we going to do with it? Well, hopefully for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And uh, as long as he has us here, we are to do our duty. So let's see this from the scripture. Everything that I've tried to apply to today, hopefully we discover, well, that's what the scripture is is teaching. That is a proper application. Verse 1, Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Now he's in court because his prosecutors did not care for his religion and they could not refute his religion when his religion put their religion in place. When he used their scriptures to show them that they were wrong and they could not refute that. They knew it was right. And so they hated on him instead. Does this sound familiar to you? When you're dealing with somebody and you're reasoning with their insanity, and you find out they're just addicted to their insanity. There's nothing that can be said. There's no reasoning with them. 
They are determined to serve a Satan that they claim not to even believe. And they won't heed the warnings. Well, Jesus told his disciples that when they uh, take you... Well, I'll read it. Luke chapter 12. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, this isn't magic. If you've not been in the Word, that won't benefit you. Don't expect, if you know nothing about the Scripture and you're a Christian, don't expect, well, Christ is just going to use me. Well, what's in there to use? Well, you reap what you sow. And so does the Lord. Paul, of course, is, was very much into the Scripture, as were the disciples. You just look at Peter. After, after Pentecost, <laughs> the Word of God flowed out of him whenever he needed it in his preaching to unbelievers and believers alike. You look at Peter's first two letters and you're just impressed by everything in them. They are equal in their intelligence and in their spiritual authority to everything else in the Bible. In verse 2 now of Acts 26, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews. Verse 3, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Well, he's saying, I am delighted to get this chance to witness to you. He's using their language. He's not using Christian language. And that's how it should be done. Why would we expect someone who knows nothing about the Word of God to understand when we want to talk about agape love? And we have to explain these things. Paul, when he wrote already, had a letter that has already been published at the time of his trial here to the Corinthians, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And he's saying, you notice how many uh, self-important people are not saved. That's where he is right here. And he says, when he says not many wise, according to the flesh, he says, that's just not according to God, not according to fact, but according to the world standards. Uh, you, you just, you, it's, it's just powerful teachings from the scripture. We never find our apostles or, or even the prophets, activists for social wrongs. They had bigger fish to fry. They had souls to save. They were active for the cross of Christ. That when the person dies, they go to heaven. He doesn't stand before these uh, rulers, the governor and, and Agrippa essentially was the governor of his territory also. Rome allowed him that title because uh, Rome benefited from uh, having Judea under its control. But, uh, you know, they, they don't bring up, the apostles don't bring up, well, you know, you, the way you treat slaves, you've got to put an end to this. This is just not right. Or, you know, they, they, they stay focused. They're not distracted in their witness. And when, if, if you've ever dealt with Jehovah Witnesses, when you start tearing apart their doctrine, you'll notice very quickly they try to get you to change to the next one. Hold them there. Burn their feet right there. If you can't get this one right, everything else about you is devilishly wrong. 
If you can't understand who Jesus Christ is, you want to walk around the neighborhood making converts, tell, converts telling people that Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is, you got a bigger issue, and I'm not letting you go on it. And if you're going to come to my house, I'm dictating what we're talking about, by the way. So, uh, and there's nothing rude about that. I know sometimes I sound like I'm too, I don't know, maybe I sound pretty good. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, from the first time I became a Christian, I never felt like I had to apologize for anything Jesus or the Bible teaches or does. And I hope I, I never lose that. And I hope uh, other Christians have the same feeling. Uh, but some are just more gentle in spirit. Well, I can't be that. Uh, I, I, I could say I wasn't born that way, but then that puts the blame on me. So I just blame the Marine Corps. It's very easy. <laughs> they did it to me. Uh, this is not true. Anyway, uh, God changes society by changing how people think about Jesus Christ. And again, we are living in a time of history where evil is being exalted. It is getting more power than what we've seen in history. Uh, And I've laid out some of the reasons. You know, usually the problems were just, you know, immorality and, and violence. But now there's still immorality. There's still violence. And then there's all these other twisted and sick things going on around us that just make you say, where did this come from? Well, we know where it came from. And we know what we have to do. Social Christianity always leads to forsaking the truth and to forsaking the Lord. How does it do that? When you try to just make the gospel friendly for everybody. You know, the ecumenicism is, has, was diversity before diversity came along. Just to include everyone. Well, the reason why it's so deadly is because it insists on making room for those who are not serious about Christ, but serious about remaining who they are without Christ. And then nesting in the church. And there are many churches out there that are, uh, quite frankly, nauseating because they call themselves a church and there's no Bibles in there. There's no Jesus in there. And it doesn't take, uh, you, you know, a rocket scientist or, or, or pastor to figure it out. I think I'm going to start using a pastor instead of a rocket scientist. Make us sound smarter than what, you know. All right. Anyway, back to this. Therefore, the primary work, always, the salvation of souls. But to do that, you have to be ready for that. You cannot expect to, you know, you can want to drive a car all you want to do, but if you can't, if you don't know how to do it, then you become a threat to everybody else. Get a person right with God, and that person will soon be right with their fellow man. Here it says in verse 3 that Agrippa, uh, he is very knowledgeable. And, and of course, that's why he has been invited by the governor, Festus, because Festus wanted to benefit from his expertise on the Jewish people. Agrippa was an Edomite, a descendant of of Esau, the brother of Jacob, who is, of course, the patriarch of a patriarch of the Jews, so of Israel, and uh, he, he, he's from this part of the world. He's far more familiar with what's going with Paul with what Paul is saying than what the Roman governor uh, understands, and that's why, in the end, Festus is going to say, "Paul, you're crazy," but. Agrippa is going to say, whoa, whoa, you, you, you're converting me here, and we've got to put an end to this. And that's where we're going to end up. Verse 4 now. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent 
from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem. All the Jews know, verse 5, they knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Well, Paul says, you guys know who I am. Well, actually, he's talking to mainly to Agrippa and, and Festus. And he's saying, these people that are charging me with crimes, they know who I am. And uh, I was one of them in the past. So he's, he's sharing his credentials, and it's, it's helpful to his case, because he's saying, look, uh, I'm not foggy about what's going on. I know full well what's happening here. And he says, in a very polite way, saying, and so do you and everybody else in this room. Even his childhood friends would have known from early on that Paul was dedicated to his understanding of, of the prophets and of their scripture, as wrong as he was. And so uh, they knew, well, he was letting them know that he knew that they knew uh, who he was and that he knew that they knew. Did I lose you on that? <laughs> he knew it. He wanted them to know that he knew it. So, all right, enough of that one. The, uh, the Pharisees, the group that he belonged with, uh, you know, they had come to voice strict adherence to the law of Moses. But in time, they began to ignore the God of Moses. That's what dead religion does. It clings to its rituals, its rules, and uh, it loses the life that only God can breathe into it. And it, this is something that even the Christian has to watch out for, that we don't become just those who say, I'm a Christian, but there's no fire. There's no spirit working in our lives. Verse 6 now. Um, I, well, let me pause there. That's something we should be mindful of, but we don't walk around in terror by that. Uh, God's not given us the spirit of that kind of fear. Verse 6, And now I stand and am, am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Verse 7, To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God, night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. So Paul is laying out, all right, this is, what, this is what's going on. But he is saying to them, the very thing the Jews had hoped for from their prophetic scripture has come to pass. Major elements of our prophecy has taken place. That's what he's telling them. He's declaring that they hoped for the Messiah to come. And the prophet said he would come. And now it is fulfilled. But they, in their dead religion, made it impossible to claim that God could fulfill what he promised to do. They made it impossible for God to prove himself. Because they set the standards. Well, if, you know, if, if he's the Messiah, then he would have delivered us from Rome. And so, well, but what does the scripture say? Well, they bypassed that. Years later, perhaps a decade or so, Paul will write to the Jews in Jerusalem. Um, that's, we write to all the Jews, but likely targeting those in Jerusalem. And uh, it's, we call it the Hebrew letter. Now, many say, well, we don't know for sure that Paul wrote it. Well, that's you. I, I'm sure he wrote it. Uh, if not, Paul who? And that's the a position I'm going to take. Now, you, you cannot 
really argue that too much because it does not say on the title by Paul. But we deduce that. Deduction is a big part of coming, of, of serving Christ and understanding the scriptures. If you say, well, it doesn't say that. Well, let me, ask, let me give you a scenario. John the Baptist is in jail. He's beginning to scratch his head and wondering, is this the Messiah or not? Because if he's the Messiah, why am I in jail as a prophet of God? Isn't he here to deliver us? Well, Christ says when the disciples come to, and they, they let him know, John is asking, are you the one or do we look for another? Jesus says, go tell John the things you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, and the, gospel have, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go tell John these things. He'll figure it out. And that's where it's left. Are you prepared to say John never figured it out and went to hell or something? Of course not. You deduce by the answer that Christ gave in his confidence that John would get the message and you would be right. And these are, uh, this is logic. This is logic based on the reason of Scripture. Or you could say it's, the re- it's reasoning based on the logic of Scripture. Either way, come to the same place. So the Hebrew letter, Paul is telling the Hebrews, you need to stop it with the Hebrew religion. Christ has made it obsolete. He uses that word in the, later in the Hebrew letter. But in the first chapter, in the first verse, he starts off with this. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. You know how powerful that is? He's saying the Messiah has come. He's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he is God the Son. He made the worlds. When you read in the beginning, God, you are reading in the beginning, Jesus Christ. But he had not assumed that position yet. The world would never have understood that. So, quite powerful, in the Hebrew letter, Paul is saying, God promised our Messiah, he came, what's the problem here? Well, they didn't want him to be their Messiah. Just like when you preach to somebody, they don't want you to be right about Christ, they want what they want. And if what they want is wrong, well, it should be right. And that's why you see them attacking the morals of society with, with such insanity. Um, And uh, I would add to that, the reason why they target the Constitution, because the Constitution is in their way from globalizing a land that gives people freedom to worship Christ and preach freely. Uh, So they hate the Constitution for that. Anyway, uh, incidentally, in verse 7, Paul points out that the tribes of Israel are not lost. Otherwise, he, he would not have been able to say that he is from the tribe of Benjamin. At that time, the records were still in existence and the Jews could track from what tribe they came from. They cannot do that now. So the Messiah cannot come now. He cannot, because who's, how would you know he's a son of David? The, the, the records are lost. Is, uh, everything would be up in the air. However, in the tribulation period, uh, they will again discover what tribe they're from, and more than likely through the science of DNA, which is just a remarkable thing that God has opened up to humanity. Uh, God could have kept humanity uh, incapable of harnessing electricity, for example. And if you take that away, how many inventions you could never get? You couldn't have a cell phone without electricity or so many things. 
so when God opened those doors up, uh, he was demonstrating to all who would hear that he is sovereign and he controls all human history. And that's why until he opened those, these laws up, laws of aerodynamics, for exa- example, men uh, traveled at the speed of horse, rode at the speed of a quill, uh, nothing really changed for most of human history until God decided uh, to move it forward. Well, verse 8, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Well, there is an afterlife. And this is a, a question that uh, many people don't want to ask. Anyone who thinks God cannot raise the dead has a stunted idea of God, of, of, of what, who the divine one is, of deity. If by God we mean omnipotent, omniscient, ubiquitous, that's everywhere present at the same time. You know, when we say Almighty God, it's still an understatement. There's no superlative that you can say about God that there. That describes him. He's always more than whatever thought or concept of words we can come up with. But we, we certainly are, are to uh, form or try to articulate our understanding as best we can. And so, if by God we mean that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, present everywhere at the same time, then uh, it's no big deal to raise the dead. The idols in the Old Testament, and they are countless. If you've gone through the Old Testament with us on Wednesday or any time on your own, you know how many times you come across idolatry. The idols of the Old Testament tell us that without God's revelation, man has a defective view of God. It can only have a defective view of God unless the view comes from God. Zechariah chapter 10, for the idols speak delusion. Man-made opinions about, about deity. That's an idol. And it is amazing that, at least to me, or maybe I should put it in question form, is it not amazing that there's life at all? I mean, think about life, how intricate it is. The thoughts, the feelings, just... How much, and not just with humans, just across the board. Life is an incredible thing. Whether it's plant life, the bacteria, virus, whatever is out there. Humans, therefore, if life, as amazing as it is, can exist, therefore, to me, it's acceptable that we can live again. That there's more to life. If I'm impressed by this life, why would I just stop there? Life is a wonder. So what is so hard to believe about an afterlife? Oh, oh that accountability. That's it. A man without God does not want to be accountable. So he either make up things about the future or try to just ignore it. Verse 9. Oh, let me pause there. See, the things I'm saying to you are the things that are going through the heads of Paul's audience and on, at some level. Just like when we witness to people, we're dealing with their concept of deity. And they're either going to be left to have their idols in their imagination or we're going to crush those idols for them and bring them to the true God who has revealed himself. Verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, This I also did in Jerusalem and many of the saints I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests, incidentally, the very chief priests that are prosecuting him now, not the same men, but the same office, 
And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Verse 11, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He understands his religious ignorance. He understands people's religious ignorance. Of course, his conversion is in Acts chapter 9. I don't know at what point to borrow from that, just to give you an idea what was going on in his head. Well, we have it in chapter 8, verse 3. As for Saul, Luke wrote, and at that time when Luke wrote this, he and Saul were very close. But he's telling the story. He says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. In verse 1 of chapter 9, then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He is serious. Something was eating this man from the inside. And Jesus, he's going to tell. He's going to say Jesus calls him on that, that very thing. John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. This is some serious stuff, religion. Proverbs 14, 12, we know this one. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Paul was on that way when he was on that road, that Damascus turnpike to prosecute Christians. Incidentally, where he says, I persecuted them, uh, let's see, verse 10 is what I want. I cast my vote. The Greek is literal, I threw down my pebble. You might say like you blackball someone, I, my vote. Uh, he, that is an indication he was, a, um, he was not a member of the Sanhedrin and not allowed to actually participate in the stoning, though his heart <laughs> desired it. Verse 12, that's the stoning of Stephen. Verse 12 now, While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. Now this is his third time in the book of Acts that he's giving his testimony. And each time he gives us a little bit more insight. And he begins by telling of his, the greatest sin a human being can commit, attacking Jesus' people. You say, oh, well, wait, wait, how could that be? Well, because Jesus said, if you attack, you attack them, you're attacking me. And if you're attacking me, you don't have this Holy Spirit. And if you're against the Holy Spirit, how can you be saved? So from that, in that context, uh, yes, the greatest sin that he ever committed was to attack Jesus Christ with the hatred that he had. I know about that before I became a Christian. And it was because I was against a Jesus that wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. I was against the Jesus of uh, churches, some churches that had concocted this Jesus. And when I met the real Jesus Christ, oh man, it was instant salvation. And, uh, you know, that's what it comes down to, is how do we get the other person to make a fair decision? Well, if we run around acting like loonies, we can't. But if we reason with them, if we uh, try to present the truth in such a way that they can get it, we have a better chance. 
Um, and I, I point that out because the people that I saw, mainly, who were saying they were Christians, were, were crazy. They were just, you know, rolling around on the floor and just all sorts of other things. What does that have to do with Christ? Well, on the other side, you had those who just had robes and candles, and they'd get up into the pulpit and never say anything from the Bible. And they said, why am I here? And it was just the other side of, man, if this is Christianity, you can keep it. And when Christ said, no, this is Christianity, then that was, that was it. Verse 13, at midday, O king, along the road I saw the light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Well, just like John the Apostle, Paul remembered the time of day that he met Jesus. When he says, O king, I commented already he was allowed to retain that title uh, because actually... Agrippa, who was referred to as king, he, was, he, he answered to Festus because Festus was uh, the representative of Caesar from Rome. Uh, anyway, uh, continuing in verse 13, along the road I saw the light from heaven. He's on his way to persecute Christians and that's when he gets saved. Interesting. He's not on his way to church to hear a great sermon as you are here this morning. <laughs> What's so funny? Anyway, He's on his way to do damage. As I got converted, I was trying to prove that Christ was a fraud and with, the, with his Bible. <laughs> and, and, and God said, pink, and that was that. Here I am. So, and this went back to childhood, this, this carnal spirit in the kitchen, playing on the kitchen floor while my mother's making dinner. If God wants you to be a pastor, there's nothing you can do, she said. And I said, not going to make me do what I don't want to do. I'm, I'm a little kid, man. What a, just this defiant, stupid spirit. Anyway, brighter than the sun, his first contact with Jesus Christ was alarming. You couldn't say this was wonderful. Christ didn't come out, you know, hey, Paul, here's a fruit basket. If you're going to get saved, it will include something that bothers you. Now, you may, it may be work out this way. You're glad it's bothering you, but it still is upsetting who you were before Christ came along. Shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Similar to Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 10, verse 14. And when we... All had fallen to the ground. I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, this, um, those with Paul knew something miraculous was taking place, but they couldn't understand. With those with Daniel, it's Daniel says they were filled with terror. They did not see the vision. They were filled with terror and they ran away. So uh, these have been powerful experiences. Uh, but if you're going to get saved, it will include something about you that gets knocked down. And this is where he says in verse 14, And when we all had fallen to the ground. Uh, that, that is, um, I don't know, I can speak for my conversion. Everything about me instantly shrunk. Everything about me became tiny. In an instant, everything about Jesus became enormous. And uh, he's, uh, it was just a glorious experience, but this is what was actually taking place. He saw the light, he fell to the ground, he heard the voice, he answered the voice, he obeyed the voice. The goad here 
when uh, they would take a young ox who had not yet been yoked, the ox would resist, didn't care for that, would kick. So they'd take a long pole and put a point on it, a very sharp point, maybe even like a nail or something, and they'd hold it by that ox's leg. And when he kicked, he got pain, and he learned to behave. That was the goad, and that's one use of it. Well, here, the Lord is saying, you're getting, every time you try to kick, you get pain. What was the pain? Well, I read it from chapter 8 and 9. His conscience was bothering him. Stephen had dismantled his religion and gave him a, a, a Messiah that had come and they crucified. And he didn't want it. He didn't want that to be true. And Christ intercepts him and emphasizes that he's wrong. Pain made the ox behave by the goad. And it was that conscience getting poked that Jesus uses to make his point, no pun intended, with Paul. And Paul knows it now. And so the goad shows up when he talks about his conversion. The audience is listening, just like you're listening. This, of course, is uh, because the Holy Spirit is speaking to the man, hopefully, as what's happening right here. Verse 15. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, he tailors his witness to his audience. He leaves out the part that he has said before, what do you want me to do? Because they're not ready for that. The part that he wants them is, who are you, Lord? That's wise. Now, from here, when the answer comes, who are you, Lord? And, G and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. From here to the end of 18, we have the words of Jesus being repeated by Paul. It is a seldom asked question, who are you, Lord? And afraid, unfortunately, some churchgoers never ask, what do you want me to do? Unless it's something they prefer to do, which is not always wrong. But sometimes it, it can be a hindrance. Well, uh, people don't want to know who the Lord is because they don't want that serious investigation. He might force them to change. Uh, he doesn't force us, but he does influence us to do so. And I don't use that word in its modern usage with people on the Internet. I don't know. How do they get called influencers? They don't influence me. How do they get that? They annoy me. Why don't I call them, what would you call annoyers? Anyway, uh, verse 16 <laughs> I, I wouldn't have the audacity to call myself an influencer. I'm a pastor by appointment. And that's all I need. <laughs> I have the, everything is baked into that. But to say, hi, this person goes to my church and I influence them. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think that would be wrong. Maybe, maybe you don't see that. Uh, and if you don't, come see me after and I can straighten you out. Verse 16. <laughs> But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I, which will yet, I will yet reveal to you. A useful and reoccurring theme in Scripture is standing before the Lord. In the midst of spiritual war, God said this to Joshua, Get up, why do you lie thus on your face? This is when Achan had sinned, and it was sin in the camp, and Israel was defeated, and Joshua was laying before the Lord, what is going on? And God just says, get up, there's sin in the camp. 
You've got to do something, Joshua. You can't you just lie there worshiping to me. Uh, Ezekiel, in the midst of spiritual adoration, he gets this great visions, and he's, he's just on his face worshiping. Ezekiel 2.1. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. So where do we stand? This is what it says of Judas, where he stood. And Judas, John 18.5, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Well, Paul offered an alternative. Not the only place, but here it is from Scripture, 1 Corinthians 16. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And so again, watch, stand fast in the faith. That's what's going to cause, that's what it calls for. There's another word I'm looking for. That's, anyway, I'm not going to try to get it. That's what it calls for. Because Jesus warned, he said, take heed that no one deceives you. And then he went on to give the end time scenario. And in that scenario, well, it's prophecy. It's more than scenario. He said in that prophecy, there's coming a strong delusion that if it is possible, it will fool even the elect. It will even fool people who should know better, if not careful. So watch. Stand fast in the faith. And if you look at Matthew 24, good practice if you haven't done it. See how many times Jesus says watch in that 24th chapter. For I have appeared, he says here in verse 16, I have appeared to you for this purpose. Well, what is the Christian life without purpose in Christ? What if your life as a Christian is just, I'm a believer, I go to church, and then I do my thing. I, I would counsel against leaving it there. Second Timothy, chapter 3, Paul saying to Timothy, You have carefully followed my teaching, manner of life, purpose. You would miss that. We would just miss that. Look, look, look at how it would be. If I were just reading this, You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Long-suffering, love, they would fly off. Faith would fly But what about purpose? Got to have purpose. What, at any age, what are you if you have no purpose? And there are plenty of billets available. You cannot say, well, I can't find one. Well, come see me. I'll influence you. <laughs> I know some of you younger ones, you know, that's your time you live in. And I, I'm not saying... Unless this generation, you know, as though my generation was somehow holier than thou. But it is a fact. The internet has put humanity on evil steroids. And we are in the last of the last days. And uh, I hope to be able to bring this out to you in the coming weeks. Uh, not this morning. This morning we're on witnessing. But I'm, I'm working hard. Anyway, uh, coming back to this, to make you a minister and a witness. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, Jesus Christ speaking. Here's the purpose for Paul, to make you a, a minister and a witness. So a servant here in the Greek is an under oarsman, which means a subordinate. I'm going to make you a subordinate servant. You're going to serve Christians and you're also going to tell uh, non-Christians as the witness. And God's people are always to be on the side of biblical truth. 
And that's where the strong delusion is going to try to move people away from the truth. John, and, and just to give you a coming attraction, have you heard of, uh, oh, what's it called? Fake, fake seekers, I think it's called. I don't know, really, where they can change, we could, they can put anyone's face, if they got enough pictures, on someone else's body, and you would know the difference. And so now this is a big problem on just multiple levels. But just for one, someone could say, I got a video of him robbing the bank. And they show this, and it's your face on someone else's body. And this is being perfected. When you go to the movies and you see it, it's like, oh, boy, that's a special effect. Well, there are people who are now using it for some serious things. And this is, this is going to be a strong delusion. They've, uh, the Ukrainians, their, their leader... They did. They took his uh, his face and put it on somebody else and put other words into the mouth of the person that they were looking at. And he was saying, we need to surrender to the Russians. It was a little choppy. It wasn't that good. But it's coming. Stronger delusions are coming. And if you don't learn to stand in the faith now, how are you going to stand when it's on your doorstep? Or how are you going to get other Christians who may be here after you to stand? It's getting very serious. To make you a minister and a witness. John sixteen thirteen, And he, the spirit of truth, when he has come, will guide you into all truth. That's what we're supposed to be about when it comes to God. He says here in verse 16, Both of the things which you have seen and of the things which... I will yet reveal to you. So the Lord says, there's going to be show and tell, and I'm going to time release it. I'm going to release it over a period of time. And you are, go you are to tell people what you have seen and what I have shown to you. And that is nothing has changed in all these years for us. Verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I will now send you. There are no other categories. That's everybody. The Lord promised him deliverance. And yet... We're going to find out next chapter that he's going to suffer shipwreck. And then he's going to suffer a snake bite and discomfort. And perhaps one of the most difficult of all, betrayal from church goers. And he will write that to Timothy. Beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He has done me much harm. You need to watch out for him. And he, there, there are others. Uh, verse 18. Um, yeah, that's what I want to go. We are running out of time. To open the eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, Jesus is speaking. He's putting himself on the level of God because he is equal with God. And so he says, you have to have faith in me. Imagine if a man told you that. You want to be saved? You've got to have faith in me. He'd be blasphemous. Christ can say it. So their eyes are closed. He mentions here, the Lord does, from the power of Satan to God. A regime change is necessary. Satan has power to damn those who are against Christ. Again, 2 Timothy. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. 
Satan is exalted in the life that is held captive. And so, what does God want? He wants to deliver us from the power of Satan. He continues here in verse 18, and we're almost done, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. That's what God wants. What does God want out of, from people? That's it right there. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Speaking of God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. And if anybody comes up and tells you God doesn't want everybody saved, take them to that verse. By faith in me. Faith alone, in Jesus alone, save souls. Nothing else works. It just doesn't work. I close with this verse, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. For we're about to celebrate that as a body in the communion. Let's pray. Our Father, to remain undistracted by all the things going on around us, the wickedness, those things that tempt us, allure us. We depend on you so much, Lord, and and we know that you know these things. That's why you're so gentle with us. We depend on you to strengthen us all the time that we would not be distracted and now walk with you. That when we have our time with you, we build up in the faith that you could put us in front of those people who need a witness, who can tell them what they have seen, what they have been shown, that they could be used by you to invite them into your kingdom. We do know that Satan wants people alive long enough to use them, then destroy them, as he did Judas Iscariot. But we also know that you want us alive so that you can use us to save souls. If you're here this morning or if you've been watching online and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, well, you have an invitation right now to come to him. Another excuse is being taken away. You are a sinner. You've broken the laws of God, whether on purpose or not. You are a sinner. And you need a Savior. You're not good enough on your own. If you were good enough to be saved, then God would not have sent His only begotten Son to die on your behalf. But He did send Him, because you're not good enough. And He makes the invitation, Come to me, and I will forgive you, and you will be mine. You will be with me in heaven and you will share my eternity. There will be no more pain, no sorrow. There will be no more death. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then make this prayer with me and God will will take you in. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws. And I ask you to forgive me. I come to you because there is no one else who died for me on the cross. And there's no one else who rose again to demonstrate his power over all creation. I come to you and I give you my life. And I ask from this day forward that you would be not only my Savior, but Lord over my life also. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.